0: the cnbc app global market news in one place customizable sections and personalized alerts stocks tracking interactive charts and market insights all in your hands stay connected stay informed download the cnbc app today good morning everybody you're watching squawk box let's get into your headlines u.s markets fall with the dow leading the losses on the back of reports president joe biden is planning to raise the capital gains tax rate for the wealthy to more than 40%. The White House pledges to cut America's greenhouse gas emissions in half by 2030, as President Biden looks to reassert the country's leadership on climate change. This is the decade we must make decisions
1: that will avoid the worst consequences of the climate crisis, and particularly those of us who represent the world's largest economies. We have to step up.
2: India becomes the world's first country to record more than 300,000 daily coronavirus cases for a second day in a row, as it battles to control a second wave with the healthcare system on the brink of collapse. Plus, the EU is preparing legal action against AstraZeneca over shortfalls in vaccine deliveries, which have hampered rollouts across the block. Lafarge
3: Holson posts a record quarter uh, sales jump and profit more than doubles, with the world's largest cement maker saying it expects to hit its strategy 2022 targets this year.
0: Uh, So, about a week ago, we sat around this desk, I think, talking about the Daimler numbers. Uh, And the company had to come out and it had to offer fresh guidance and a trading update because... There was a material expectation the numbers would be better than their previous guidance here. So I just want to put that uh, qualification out there as we now look at the official release of the first quarter numbers from Daimler. So no great surprises expected at this stage, but the group net profit coming in at 4.4 billion euros uh, on a revenue line of 41 billion euros. Total unit sales uh, up by 13 percent due to the recovery of the global economy combined with an attractive vehicle portfolio. Those are their words, not my words, of course. Strong operating performance in the first quarter, translating into a bounce in EBIT. Daimler adjusted EBIT, reflecting the underlying business, also multiplied to 4.97 billion uh, compared with the first quarter of uh, 2020 of 719. Uh, million. Let's get to Anetta and talk some more about the fortunes uh, and the year ahead for Daimler. So positive signalling coming from Daimler this morning and that all-important Chinese market critical to these numbers, Anetta.
4: Yeah, w- w- that's actually what we have been discussing last week, as you were saying, when they already gave us some provisional numbers, which uh, then saw the EBIT really bouncing back for the first quarter. So essentially, they are so optimistic that they're also raising their outlook for margins. So um, that's what they are also telling us today, that they're anticipating higher margins in 2021, because they think that there will be a gradual normalization of economic conditions in their important markets. And their important markets are, of course, China, the US, but also Europe. So with the vaccination also uh, gathering speed here in Europe, there should be more positive momentum also for Daimler. When I spoke to Ola Kalenius, I guess it was last week as well, um, he was um, saying that they actually could sell more cars than they can produce. And here comes the bottleneck, because only yesterday we got the announcement from Daimler that some 18,500 employees are put back on short-time working scheme because of a shortage in semiconductor chips. And they're also halting production in two big factories here in Germany because they don't have enough semiconductor chips and they don't know when the situation will actually going to improve. And that is the bottleneck for their outlook. So essentially what they're now saying, the current worldwide supply shortage um, is affecting deliveries in the first quarter already. And they are also expecting that to remain the problem, they are anticipating that the shortage could further impact sales also in the second quarter. So there is not a lot of visibility at present, um, but they're assuming that this the situation is going to improve in the third and the fourth quarter. So. I think to sum it up, the numbers are better than expected, that which we knew already, and now they're already also raising their, their margin guidance for the year. With that, back to you, Jeff.
2: I guess my only problem is, Anetta, why this company trades at such a, a pathetic forward premium if it's doing so well in its numbers? And I, mean, and I don't mean that because everyone else has got the same problem about chips out there i've just run the uh run a a slide rule over the numbers they trade at 6.9 times forward renault trades at nine times forward bmw has a seven handle gm trades at 10 times forward peugeot 13 times forward even volkswagen is nearly eight times forward i think that's a question for the analysts going forward i guess i think we have to move sorry yeah do you want to have a quick answer to that one
4: I think what we have seen since early February is kind of a revaluation in the car shares. Just have a look what happened since early February. Um, they were really depressed uh, last year because I guess many analysts out there and investors did think they are not going to make that turnaround and there's super high investment costs as well ahead of them. It's perhaps one of the reasons why they're still trading at uh, those uh, low PEs compared to other companies. Back to you.
2: Thank you, Anetta. Oh, that's great. Excellent. Right, OK, let's move on. Uh, President Joe Biden is reportedly set to propose significant tax hikes for the richest Americans, including doubling the levy on capital gains for Americans over, earning over $1 million. Now, uh, according to... And I'll just grab some of my notes here. According to... Multiple reports. Rates for the top marginal income tax bracket may also go up by nearly 300 basis points. Biden is expected to make the announcements next week as part of his efforts to fund the forthcoming American Families Plan, a $1 trillion package focusing on childcare and education. Surely the markets were a bullion about more money being invested uh, into the United States and creating better social care, better education, which means better productivity for companies at some stage. No, markets fell. I mean, let's be honest about it. It's a very obvious knee-jerk reaction. And we don't even have to go into the politics and the rights and wrongs of raising tax. And it's something we've said on this channel, uh, an awful lot. Someone has to pay at some stage, not only for uh, better health care, not only for better infrastructure, but of course, American recovery plans as well, COVID recovery plans, the vast amount of money that's going into the recovery left, right and centre. Sooner or later, someone's going to have to pay. Uh, and I guess the markets just had a little shudder on who's going to have to pay uh, on this one uh, in the last 24 hours. The Dow was down 321 points. Point. Now, again, these are modest declines. They look like big numbers these days because we have big numbers on the overall market. But these are modest declines compared to where we've come from. OK, so just want to get that one out as well. Let's have a look at the week-to-day moves on some of these indices. Again, you know, we've had what have we had this week? We've had stunning declines. Uh, in terms of the progress and pandemic response in a lot of the emerging worlds. You've got pandemic which is just out of control in India. You've got a pandemic which is out of control in Brazil. These are huge, huge countries as well. Uh, yes, you've had successful rollout continuing in the United States and Great Britain and Europe's finally beginning to get its act together as well. But how long can you ignore one of the world's largest economies with 1.4 billion people in India and the lockdown that's happening there? And as of 4 a.m. this morning, for instance, uh, basically you cannot travel from India to the United Kingdom, for instance. So for the airlines, all those very lucrative routes from India and UK and back because there's a lot of planes going left, right and centre out of Delhi, and out of Mumbai. Uh, And fact is they're just not going to happen now. They're going on to no travel lists across the world. But the oil market, again, just looked at the Libya news yesterday and thought, yeah, do you know what? We'll just keep rallying the oil price up to nearly 66 bucks. So this is what we've done week to day. Anyway, again, I think these are relatively modest moves given what's going on in the world. Should we have a look at the transports and see where they trade as well? Again, transports, again, giving back 0.8 of a percent. But when you look at just only the last three months, are up 16%, again, modest declines. Will it turn into something bigger? I don't know, but we've had three decent-sized down days this week, only one up day, and yet we're still only down around about 1%. The banking sector as well, is that responding to uh, a less aggressive yield environment compared to where we were? They not seem to be challenging, do they, uh, the higher yields so much anymore? Uh, The banking index did give up 1.27% yesterday, and I mentioned the treasury, so let me show you the Treasuries as well. Uh, 1.5%. 577. So, Jeffrey, and I think Karen's going to join us in a little bit as well. Um, It's a very obvious knee jerk (laughs) reaction when the money has to be taken from somewhere, it can't necessarily be invested in the market. And if we're talking about higher income tax for wealthier people, which again is something But we had a guest on just before the election in November. And before I found out he was a representative for Republicans overseas, which came up during the interview, it turned out that he said it would be a disastrous thing for the markets to have a Democratic presidency. uh, Because, of course, uh, that would be high tax and what have you. Well, actually... Biden got in, and we know that Biden has a mantra of raising taxes on the wealthiest in America and raising corporation taxes. This has been talked about a lot. And yet the market has done stunningly well since that November election.
0: Yeah, there are studies into this uh, which have analysed the impact of higher capital gains taxes. I think um, uh, John Hawthorne's references, David Costin over at Goldman Sachs, who's looked at uh, the, th- the last three CGT hikes from 87, 88 and 2013. And in all cases, uh, stocks did poorly in the run-up to the introduction to the taxes. And, of course, the politicians are canny. They try and get ahead of any selling and they uh, make these tax increases retroactive. So the irony of anybody who's been selling to try and avoid these taxes is I think it's already been made clear that if they get approved they will be retrospective to okay. 2021. So you will still get caught in the net here. But the point that uh, Mr. Costin made over at uh, Goldman Sachs, I think, is that in each of these cases, coming up to the introduction of the tax, there was selling. The Markets reacted very negatively. But subsequently, markets actually rallied. And of course if you sit down and you have a think about where that tax money is going, in the case of the United States, what are we being lined up with? With uh, infrastructure um, rollout programmes, which will be good for businesses in those sectors, It'll generally be good for everybody because it's an intangible benefit for the economy, but it will show up in productivity in some ways over coming decades. You're putting more money into the pockets of those uh, on welfare, perhaps who need support, those who uh, may need assistance with uh, education programmes and so on and so forth. Again, intangible benefits that will show up in productivity uh, for the economy later on. And those will help lift corporate profitability in the long run. But, of course, there is an immediate hit and there is always the question of who pays and how do you decide who pays? And in, the, in these estimations, obviously the um, administration is looking at $1 million earnings as the benchmark Look, at let's the Let's go
2: back to an old hobby horse of mine. How much should the ratio of the top earners be compared to average workers? And I, I believe in capitalism. I believe that these... Ladies and gentlemen who make it to the top, who are potentially good enough to take these companies through good times and bad times, should be stunningly well remunerated from it. But the numbers have gone mad, haven't they? The num- We all know the numbers have gone mad. If you can easily find, easily find, Karen, a multiple of over 300 times for an S&P CEO compared to his or her average worker, we know things have gone bonkers compared to the levels we saw in the 90s, the noughties, and going back into history. And we were talking about the multiples used to be, what, 20 times? Now we're 300 times. Things have gone a little bit too far. Is it really that that crazy for any president, whatever his or her stripes are, uh, to actually try to rein that in and that ratio a little bit.
3: It's about an element of fairness, isn't it? We've just been through a pandemic, and certain demographics have been hit harder than others. And what effectively we're talking about here is taking a preferential tax treatment for some wealthy individuals and changing it. And particularly, we're talking about private equity and hedge funds here. The rate that they might end up paying is close to about forty-four odd percent. And we know a lot of people on the tax uh, take here in the UK on the certain tax brackets that pay that already. It's it's no different. And if you think about taking more money from those who you can capture tax from, that the tax authorities know, whether that's in the United States, the UK or elsewhere, is it fair to make those same people pay more when they've already been paying the, the top rates of tax for many, many years? It is about going after those that have not been paying the same share. And and I think there is this uh, fairness element, where the money goes into kindergartens, universal kindergartens, for instance, providing some level of childcare or early education. As we know, early education can make a, a huge difference to to the journey that a child has through the education system. And that is important as we talk about closing the gap and ensuring opportunities for all. Why the stock market's been roiled by this? I don't think it's necessarily just one feature. All along, they've been concerned about higher taxes from the Biden administration. They thought that may not be coming. That was a positive for the stock market. So it's a little bit of just the mood music as investors read some of the early detail. But I think this week's been choppy anyway with the, you know, are we back on with a reflation trade or maybe we're not because of concerns around India and Japan. I think volatility was just starting to pick up anyway. And this is another layer on top or another excuse for markets just to be a bit cautious given the levels we've climbed to. Jeff.
0: I just wanted to make another point about uh, cryptocurrencies here, because uh, we've been looking at the uh, volatility around cryptocurrencies for a very long time. But obviously, recently, there has been uh, a lot of activity here. And I think the actions of uh, authorities uh, are starting to come to bear on the minds of those who've been participating in these markets. And the first issue was, are we going to have official central bank uh, currencies, digital currencies, and what would that mean for cryptocurrencies. But Rabobank had an interesting note uh, where they talked about the whisper being that Janet Yellen might be interested in an 80% tax on cryptocurrencies. Janet Yellen, the US Secretary of State. Now, it's just a whisper as far as Rabobank are reporting it. But if we go down that road, the governments of the world will not be needing to ban these cryptocurrencies because ultimately they could use taxes as a way of uh, pushing them off the agenda for a lot of those who might like to speculate in them and believe in them and the irs already is interested in you if you have made large gains in bitcoin or ethereum or doggy coin. So you ain't going to get away with Good job they're not
2: worried about me then. Well, I mean, the big 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 story, of
0: course, was the cryptocurrency sits outside of the uh, official financial plumbing. And here's a way to uh, make a return without engaging in the... The IRS wants to know about it.
2: So much news. Um, Just on um, the crypto point as well, latest headline on crypto. It's in the London Times. Trader flees Turkey with $2 billion in record crypto scam. So it goes on. Uh, And the other point about the markets worrying about Joe Biden, 3rd of November, the election, wasn't it? Market was 27,000. We've put on 7,000 since then. Quite extraordinary. Karen.
3: Uh, Let's talk about what's happening elsewhere across Europe as the European Central Bank has decided to maintain its massive stimulus policy, including a two trillion euro asset purchase envelope through to March 2022. The ECB said it would ramp up bond purchases under the PEP program over the next few months compared to the first months of the year. President Christine Lagarde said preserving favorable financing conditions is important in the face of ongoing uncertainty.
1: On the occasion of this governing council, we did not discuss any phasing out of PEP, because it is simply uh, premature. Um, I would also observe that uh, any determination concerning the pace of purchase under the PEP is done not on a a date or a calendar basis. It is data dependent. We have uh, pledged to preserve favorable financing conditions. We conduct a joint assessment of those financing conditions throughout the whole spectrum uh, and the inflation outlook.
2: Still talking about tax, aren't we? Right, coming up on the show, President Biden calls on global leaders to step in and cut carbon emissions. We'll have more next. President Biden has pledged to cut U.S. carbon emissions in half by 2030 compared to 2005 as he kicked off a two-day virtual climate summit with global leaders. Canada and Japan were amongst other countries to make fresh climate commitments, whilst China's Xi Jinping also promised to phase down its consumption of coal by the end of the decade. Now, the U.S. leader called
1: on more countries to do more. The United States sets out on the road to cut greenhouse gases in half in half by the end of this decade. That's where we're headed as a nation. And that's what we can do if we take action to build an economy that's not only more prosperous, but healthier, fairer, and cleaner for the entire planet. You know, these steps will set America on a path of net-zero emissions economy by no later than 2050. But the truth is, America represents less than 15% of the world's emissions. All of us, and particularly those of us who represent the world's largest economies, we have to step up.
2: Let's dissect this a little bit. i delighted to say Peter Erickson's joining us, who is the Programme Director of Climate Policy at the Stockholm Environment Institute. Peter, really nice to see you. Look, those of us who had dismay uh, about climate policy under President Trump were actually soothed in our fears very often because we were told actually most of the climate change policy is being done at a corporate, an individual and a statewide level. So let me just flip that on its head with Mr. Biden having this great initiative now. Surely it was all happening anyway at a state, a corporate and at a personal level. What can the federal government do to accelerate these policies?
1: It can do a whole lot. Thanks for having me on. It's an exciting day here for us in the U.S. who are following climate policy. Uh, What we've seen from Biden so far this year in his administration, just three months in, is an absolute blitz on climate policy. It's been very exciting. And there's quite a lot he can do uh, just with executive authority. But with furthermore, with 50 Democrats in the Senate, there's even more that can be done. So what he's done so far is staff up almost every department with leaders in the climate field, and they're making all kinds of changes in how they do the basic functioning of government that are really exciting to see.
2: Yeah, but Peter, when I look at one of his great initiatives uh, on on infrastructure, and we've seen many presidents talk about infrastructure before they get in and actually fail to get it over the line once they're in office, in administration as well. But even on administ- uh, and, and infrastructure, a lot of this is focused around a green economy, uh, a, a greener climate facing those concerns economy as well. But he's struggling to get this through the Senate already, isn't he? And, the, and, and even with the conservative uh, Democrats as well. They're not necessarily looking at that price tag and saying, we're going to go with this.
1: I, I, I challenge you on that a little bit. I think we could very well see this. I mean, we had a 1.7, 1.8 trillion recovery package pass already, well over double the recovery package that passed uh, in the Obama um, era in 2008, 2009. So, This Congress is already proving it can do big things beyond people's expectations. And I wouldn't be surprised to see an infrastructure bill, what's called the American Jobs Plan, actually pass.
3: Can I ask you about the timing? We've seen so many targets set from 2030 right to 2050, but uh, climate change advocates still do not believe there's a a level of urgency that the emergency status around the environment has simply just not been declared at this point. Do you think that's true? Despite all the efforts, we're still very much lagging behind what we need to achieve at this point.
1: Absolutely. If you look at the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, that's the major scientific body that looks at these questions. We need to be reducing emissions much faster than we are. We need to get to zero by around 2050. And we are now seeing, in- including today, countries making ambitious pledges to get there. But pledges are just that, uh, their aspirations. And what we really do need to see still is the concrete policies that get us there, especially in the world's largest emitting countries. And what we also need to see is those countries supporting in very serious ways, financially, the low carbon transition in poorer countries around the world. That's something that's still very much lagging.
3: I want to pick up on that point because some of the reaction from various countries was that uh, many just didn't believe their own governments were doing enough to tackle climate change. Even though you've got this leadership now coming from the Biden administration, companies were turning to their, or people were turning to their own countries and saying, we need to do more. But then if you also shine the lens at the consumer level, how many of us have really changed our behaviours in the last five to 10 years around climate change? How do you think we get traction on those levels, even though we now seem to have traction, at the White House, but also around corporates? How do we get it to to filter down a little bit further across society?
1: Well, look, it's hard to make change at the personal level. We need these systemic actions. And while personal individual choices are great, ultimately that needs to scale to, like you're saying, state and national governments and corporations. So the pledges that we see, the the talk we see today helps create that level of of certainty for the business community. I think we'll see more of that tomorrow. The day two of the summit is intended to be around innovation, around jobs and around economic growth potential that can come with really pursuing the low carbon economy. So it takes effort to get all these points pointed in the right direction, all these aspects of society from the individual to the major heads of state, but we're really seeing momentum in ways that we haven't. But like you pointed out, and I certainly agree, there's a lot more to do.
0: Some individual senators have uh, taken a very strong line on China, Peter. I was looking at uh, Senator Bill Cassidy's comments. Uh, China is building new coal plants at three times the rate of the rest of the world. Uh, The Paris Climate Accord doesn't require them to lower emissions until 2030. This is a joke he says. And yet Xi Jinping appeared yesterday, restated the commitments for 2030 and 2050 and pointed to uh, per capita emissions levels in China being significantly lower than we see in the United States. What's your view here? Is China doing enough? Does the US need to exert more pressure on China at this stage or should it be the other way around?
1: These are all great points and great questions. I was testifying in Congress today uh, in the House of Representatives, not the Senate side, and I heard a similar point around China. Um, Let's say this. The U.S. is the largest emitter. It's one of the very top per capita emitters. Uh, The biggest emitters have to take the lead, and that includes the U.S., that includes Europe. Um, And what we see from China is that despite their low... Per capita emissions lower than 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 developed countries, they are in some ways in the lead themselves because of their commitment to net zero emissions in 2060. A new independent assessment of their emissions came out today, saying actually that target for China, given their level of development, is actually perhaps in line with the ambitious 1.5 degree target of the Paris Agreement. So China is pulling its weight so far, um, as much as any country.
0: What have we got now? I mean, it must be nearly a million Americans on uh, food stamps, Peter, and this this catastrophe with coronavirus really hasn't helped. With that being the case, how do you convince Americans that The way to deal with emissions reduction in a country like India or the Philippines or many of these other emerging economies is for a transfer of wealth from the developed world, from the United States to these countries to help with their programmes. How do you sell that when you've got a domestic
1: crisis
0: in many parts of the American economy?
1: I tell you, that is tough, and I, I don't envy those who are, are, are trying to do that. I think the first step is to um, get e- America's economy in order and the, the two trillion jobs plan that the Biden administration has put forward, build out that infrastructure, make people start feeling like they can prosper and that they can do so in the low carbon economy and ultimately create that feeling. Um, That we can share because that is not a great American attribute, I have to say I'm an American uh, and it's hard to get the political traction, even though we're the wealthiest country in the world for for doing that. But I think we need to create that that spirit of um, we're all in this together because we are and I think we can get there.
3: Uh, Peter, thank you very much for joining us today. Peter Erickson with us, Programme Director, Climate Policy at Stockholm Environment Institute. It's been a busy old week on the corporate earnings front and Remy Contre, one of the latest companies to report this morning, just digging into the numbers from the drinks maker, sales of uh, just over $1 Uh, Euros reported for the full year 2020-2021, 1.8% bounce on an organic basis. Uh, looking at the sales print for the full year down 1.4%, the company saying that business bounced back strongly in the second half, including a 15.1% organic growth rate in the final quarter of the year. So double-digit bounce there, and uh, clearly uh, many different conditions across various markets, uh, with some of them still closed and uh, facing lockdowns, which means restriction on that uh, restaurant bar trade that's typically very important for this business. Uh, But big presence in Asia, of course, and uh, some corridors there were were faring quite nicely. Four-year current operating profit to grow around 10% in organic terms. It does see an adverse foreign exchange effect. and That was reported in a a couple of other drinks businesses as well. We saw that yesterday from uh, Pedro Ricard as well. Remy Quantro expects a strong start to the financial year this year. Uh, so that is a, a strong outlook statement about the extent of the bounce back. But we were making the point base effects make a, a huge difference in some of these businesses, given how steeply we fell around this time last year. We we're starting to see those base effects start to kick in.
0: Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For
2: more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com.
3: Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.